Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast in which we'll be looking ahead to the stories and events that will certainly be in the headlines and could even move markets in the coming days. I'm Robert Muller. So we'll be talking about the Queen's speech, what might be discussed at the G7 finance ministers meeting in Dresden. We'll have an update on the UK's growth numbers and there's a little bit of US data to look at as well. And we'll be taking to the skies quite literally for a preview of the full year results from Ryanair. I'm joined by Catherine Hopkins, who will be on the business team, the Times business team, blogging live on the Queen's speech, Philip Aldrich, economics editor and columnist for the Times, and Andrew Clark, the Times deputy business editor. Well, welcome to you all. And Catherine, let's start with you and uh, what we might expect from the Queen's speech. So the Queen is going to deliver her speech on Wednesday to mark the start of Parliament and while it will be her speaking it will be the government that's actually written this speech and it will lay out all the policies they plan to implement over the next Parliament. Now I won't talk about um, the general policies I'll just touch on the business ones that are likely to be announced and the main points I think she will touch on are including the EU referendum which David David Cameron is very keen to get past by the end of 2017 and also Sajid Javid's plan to cut around £10 billion worth of red tape. That's been an ambition though, Philip, hasn't it, for every government to cut red tape? Have we ever seen any evidence that it works? Not yet. Some statistics came out recently showing that although the uh, coalition government said that there there was going to be a one-in, one-out rule on red tape, uh, on regulations, they did end up in the, after the last parliament with more regulations than uh, than they went into it with. Uh, so that was, you know, a strong uh, a strong government commitment to keep a lid on red tape, and yet uh, they failed. So ten billion is ambitious. Andrew, in the businesses that you talk to. Is this really top of their priority list? It is something they go on about an alarming amount, actually. I mean, cutting red tape tends to be uh, tends to be one of the go-to demands uh, for big businesses. And um, let's be honest, uh, red tape is a very, very general term. I mean, there's good red tape and there's bad red tape. There are some types of of red tape that protect employees in the workplace, protect them from bullying, protect them from discrimination. There are types of red tape that ensure that all, you know, the transport companies are, uh, are, have disability access. There's all sorts of red tape that, that we need. Nevertheless, companies, some companies would like to get rid of it because it would improve their profitability. So just saying we want to cut red tape in itself is um, not a particularly sophisticated approach. There are certain types of policies that the business department tries to tackle again and again and red tape is one of them and late payments is another and I think over the last parliament late payments didn't improve, they probably got worse and this will probably be the same with red tape. Um, it's good. It's 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 good to ha- to set the ambition there. I mean, obviously, if you if you do uh, remove unnecessary regulations, and there are, I don't think anyone would argue that there aren't a lot of unnecessary regulations. Uh, uh, business gets wrapped up, and then uh, you know it can it can help make things a, a lot more efficient. I mean, we're seeing a move towards devolution, which in a way is going to be a, a kind of a cutting of red tape. In 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 as much as if if decisions ultimately get taken locally, you don't have to go through the central uh, central government for you know procurement stuff if uh, you know if you're a business wanting to get some local contract for example it can speed things up it definitely can be good for the economy
in the end, Andrew, I suppose it all feeds down to share prices. How's that going to affect the businesses on the bottom line and the implementation of what seems to be the policies that are not going to happen for almost years now? Well, I don't think there's much of a short-term effect. I mean, I suppose there's a a broader uh, sense of if you have a pro-business, pro-free market government, then that that will support UK equity prices across the board. But uh, an announcement in the Queen's speech that they're going to cut red tape is not not likely to spark a short-term jump in anyone's shares, I wouldn't have thought, even though it it will be greeted with with delight by business leaders. The bigger thing will obviously be if the EU referendum, if he does come up with more certain more specific ambitions on uh, on on what, on what he wants uh, out of the treaty renegotiations or the renegotiations with Europe that that'll be uh, business will definitely like to see like to see that more perhaps actually more than uh, this sort of red tape uh, endless red tape pledge well, moving seamlessly on from Westminster to Dresden this time, G7 finance ministers no longer G8 with Russia. I mean, first of all, does that make a difference, Russia not being there in terms of what we see from these basically powerhouse economies? It's probably diplomatically easier without Russia this time. There are going to be a, num- a number of issues uh, at the G7, which uh, for, for a start, I mean, I just mentioned the EU referendum in, in, in the UK. It's certainly going to be brought up by George Osborne because it's a chance, I think it's the first chance he'll have to sit down with Wolfgang Schäuble of Germany. Um, so, uh, you know, that that will, there, there, I'm sure there will be some uh, mention of that and, and we'll see some coverage in the papers. And then, of course, there's there's Greece as well. And, and Washington has been, you know, behind the scenes trying to corral uh, the Europeans into actually trying to fix the problem with Greece. And, and one of their concerns, if you're going to mention Russia, is that, you know, there is the you know the Greeks have been cozying up to Moscow and and with the with the sort of the threat in the Balkans and the sort of geostrategic implications uh, you know with NATO uh, being th- being potentially threatened by by Russia at the moment the um uh, the fact that um, Putin's people are not going to be uh, in Dresden might make it easier to have a, a more broad ranging chat. Andrew, do you think? that for most ordinary people, the G7 finance ministers happen so far away that what they say doesn't really matter and affect people's everyday lives, whether it be commercial or even personal. Uh, you know, there are some important issues being discussed at these meetings. They do seem to come come around very often, don't they? Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, that there are long-term policies being touched on here that will ultimately affect the way our businesses run and the way we go about our daily lives. Uh, so you've got the tax. In terms of the more prosaic subjects, this global campaign to uh, crack down on uh, tax avoidance, particularly in this internet world and uh, where you can move your you know, finances to the Cayman Islands and Ireland and um, and stuff. So there'll be there'll be more uh, discussion about uh, cracking down on tax avoidance and financial regulation is going to be on top uh, another issue at the top of the agenda at the G7 in Dresden. Um, the reforms, the improvements to uh, banks to make them uh, more resilient against another Lehman Brothers type of shock. Um, those reforms are still ongoing. Uh, it feels like a long time ago, uh, seven years since Lehman Brothers went under, but there's still a lot of work to be done. And the, the financial um, uh, financial reforms is, again, going to be one of the major issues at this G7. 
I think the fact that Russia won't be there means that they can just get on and actually discuss other issues because if Russia was there, it's such a problematic country at the moment that they would just be going around in circles discussing issues about Russia and not getting anywhere else with anything else. So hopefully this means they can really get their teeth stuck into some other important areas. All of the uh, finance ministers are scheduled to attend a winery uh, in uh, around Dresden, and so this will be their time out. I mean, they uh, obviously um, uh, they must dread it, don't they? Yeah. Well, apparently it's called or, or the Augustus the Strong Winery. is uh, It's going to be a little uh, a little hangout for finance ministers uh, next week. I've been to Dresden, and the food was surprisingly nice. So they'll probably have a good time. It's well, actually a relatively easy gig as finance ministers' meetings go. Wasn't there one once in? northern Canada where they all got served seal meat to see if they'd eat it and uh, I remember Eddie George going for a ride on his sled in the snow. And in Australia um, I attended that one um, unfortunately not with not with the ministers I was in the press room so I didn't have the same treatment but um, Joe Hockey made them all have a proper Aussie barbecue. The mind boggles doesn't it indeed. Philip, we've got another take on the uh, UK's growth numbers. We just heard over in America this week, in fact, that they don't seem to be able to work out their GDP numbers. What is it with all of these countries, but ours in particular? Why can't we get the numbers right? And is there going to be a revision? Yeah, there there should be a revision from 0.3 up to 0.4, which still won't be particularly particularly good. the there has there has been an improvement in the, the in the first estimate we only have forty percent of the GDP data. Um, they've since got you know official numbers or more formal numbers for the construction sector, which was which was better than the, what they had estimated. So it looks it looks uh, almost a dead cert that we're going to get a, an upgrade to zero point four. The the UK has not got a great track record on its uh, on the on the quality of its first the first take of its GDP data, but it does. I mean, in the defence for the, of the, the statisticians in Newport, uh, they do go first. We, we we are very early out of the blocks with our numbers, so we don't have as much actual data in. So there's a lot more. Two thirds of the data is estimates. Uh, so two thirds of the data in the first estimate is just uh, is guesswork, as it were. There you do get two more uh, takes between the first and the last take. So the first and the third take of uh, the GDP. Uh, data, there tends to be a revision of 0.1%. And by the time that that data has been revised after three years of revisions, uh, it tends to have moved by 0.4 percentage points. Now that's up or down, but it just shows that the that uh, these first uh, numbers are not always the most reliable. Catherine, these constant revisions, does it really matter to business? I just think it matters that we have a, f- a fairly strong economy and the fact that we're growing is, is all that matters. Uh, businesses are putting more... Uh, more and more emphasis on the survey data which comes out so the purchasing managers indices and the CBI industrial trends figures and um, you know the British retail consortium retail sales stuff which is more immediate although it isn't it isn't hard and fast data because it is survey data um, the uh, business seem, seems to be putting more emphasis and even economists actually uh, think this data is relatively trustworthy as well so more emphasis is put on that the reason why the, the Office for National Statistics goes early is because they're still a month out of date by the time that they come 
come out. Um, they're a month behind. You know, uh, the official figures are always um, a little bit more retrospective, um, and their confirmation of the fact that the economy may be improving or may be slowing down. The, the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee also focuses much more closely on the PMI surveys that than they used to, and I think some have even said that they put more importance on these as opposed to the official figures because they can't always trust them. The Bank of England actually, it doesn't just forecast anymore, it backcasts. It's been backcasting for a few years, so it, it makes estimates of previous growth numbers because it doesn't trust the official numbers. Oh, well, that's reassuring. Um, Andrew, looking at the corporate world, we've got some full-year figures from Ryanair, and I suppose, again, all eyes on Michael O'Leary. Yeah, I mean, he's always got an opinion on everything, really, hasn't he, old Michael? Um, so Ryanair's doing pretty well. They're expected to announce uh, profits of about €850 million Euros, uh, for the year, uh, which would be a, a, a very sharp increase on last year. Things have panned out quite nicely for them over the last two years. They had a couple of setbacks, um, a couple of profit warnings about two years ago, uh, in which they were hit by tough, fair competition in Europe and by a perception that their customer service had just got so bad that lots of affluent middle class people didn't want to travel with them. Um, so they've uh, they've reformed their customer service, they've got their staff to be a bit nicer, they've got rid of some of the punitive penalties that you have to pay if you forget to print out your boarding pass or if your bag's a little bit too big. And um, it's worked out quite nicely. They've also copied EasyJet by trying to attract more business travellers. So they've introduced uh, flexible tickets that you can change without having to buy a completely new one. Um, and they have um, increased their uh, their frequency on key routes that business travellers use, uh, routes to places like Brussels and Paris and uh, Madrid that uh, rather than holiday destinations are, are, are commercial ones. It, it, it's more around flexibility really and it's more around a uh, an assurance that you're not going to be fined if you uh, make a mistake in your booking. Do you think Ryanair will take more passengers off EasyJet now? Because Ryanair always used to be the most difficult to travel on, but now I find it much easier than EasyJet, whereas you can only take one bag on EasyJet, but you can now take two on Ryanair. Quite possibly, yes. Uh, I mean, both both airlines, to be honest, I think the space for both of them, uh, they don't directly compete on all that many routes because EasyJet tends to go to primary airports and with Ryanair you'll be travelling to a rather obscure airfield uh, a long way from the city centre. But, of course, the other thing that Michael O'Leary will be quizzed about is whether he's prepared to sell Ryanair's 29% uh, stake in Aer Lingus to his big rival, British Airways and its parent company, International Airlines Group. We're still waiting to hear whether Aer Lingus uh, will be snapped up by BA, and that will be a big talking point next week. All right, well, you can keep up to date with that. And, of course, check out all those results and more the latest breaking stories as they happen on our Business Now Live blog. That's on the business page of our website. And don't forget, Time subscribers can also sign up to our daily morning and lunchtime emails. That'll keep you up to date with all the news on the move wherever you are. And if you don't have a subscription, you can get one easily enough. It's a special £1 offer by going to thetimes.co.uk. And if you want to hear us weekly, you can subscribe through iTunes. It's that simple. My thanks to Catherine Hopkins, Andrew Clark and Philip Aldrich. You can follow them all on Twitter. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.